what's on tap for today breakfast smoothie working from home morning meetings Ooh, lunch afternoon meetings jeff you're on mute time for dinner checking some emails before bed you've got mail and bedtime <sighs> hmm i wonder what tomorrow looks like Wake up, smoothie, Zoom meetings, Jeff, still on mute. bedtime. How about the next day? Wake up, smoothie, Zoom meetings, someone show this guy how to use Zoom, bedtime. Improving the employee experience. That's what we're talking about today. This is the Insights at Work podcast. Jeff, it's Tuesday. Really? What happened to Monday? Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of the Insights at Work podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Livingston, and I'm so excited about tackling today's topic with a really special guest, one of my favorite HR experts who focuses on the employee and customer experience host of the Agile Brand Podcast, which is now in its fourth season, and joining me from the nation's capital, not my nation's capital, but a nation's capital, from Washington, D.C., Greg Kilstrom. Greg, welcome to the Insights at Work Podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to talking with you. Well, Greg, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Now, for those listeners of ours who haven't read your book or who aren't familiar with the Agile Brand Podcast, why don't you fill them in just a little about yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, I come from a marketing background and ran a digital agency for, for a number of years, sold that about four years ago or so. And at, at that point, really got into customer experience and employee experience, as well as drawing on my, my branding and marketing background. And so I started the Agile Brand Podcast about four years ago, as you mentioned, and uh, I do that as well as consulting and really try to tie marketing, CX, EX, and technology. I think technology is always kind of the, the through line through things. But uh, what, I, what I always try to do is make sure that most of what I do is, is based on change management of some kind. And so technology is always a component of that. But the other two major components are people and processes. And... I spend most of my time really thinking through the people and process part of it, making sure that they can then use the technology to accomplish whatever the goal is. Greg, I read your book, The Center of Experience, and I loved how you showed that there's a strong connection between a great employee experience and a great customer experience, how one leads into the other. Now, there's a line that you like to use. It's great. You write what you get on the inside you get on the outside. So in other words, happy employees help create happy customers. One of the examples in your book is Chick-fil-A, where they're best known for their employee experience, and they're also known as being the most profitable fast food retail chain. In my day-to-day -day world, I see this example when I travel using Southwest Airlines, who are known for their exceptional employee experience. 
from the online experience to the check-in to the in-flight experience, it just seems like Southwest Airlines employees enjoy their job. And for me, this creates an incredible customer experience. Ron Lovett, who's appeared on the Insights at Work podcast, tells a story about how after he read the book about Southwest Airlines called Nuts, well, when he was waiting for a Southwest flight, he went up to the gentleman at the ticket counter and he asked him, sir, do you enjoy your job? So the guy looked at Ron and said, do you want me to be honest with you? So Ron said, yeah, be honest. And this gentleman looks Ron straight in the eyes and says, sir, this is the best company I have ever worked for. Greg, I wonder if that's why they're so successful. Yeah. And, you know, so a couple of things with that. I mean, Southwest is definitely another prime example of that. I think the the unfortunate thing is that we can probably name about on one hand the amount of companies that really have those kinds of success stories. And I, I think that's a, you know, that's a tragedy in and of itself. But what we can learn from those companies, and I think there are a lot of companies that are that have been making a lot of strides and 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 at least in the right direction, is when you take care of your employees, they take care of your customers. And you know, the whether it's Southwest, Chick-fil-A, Virgin, there's there's you know, again, a handful of brands that really, really embrace this. When they do, I mean, the the Chick-fil-A example that I use in the book, it's such a simple thing on the surface of it is they just make sure when you go in there, they say, please, that when you when you thank them, they say my pleasure, you know, just like little things. And yet it's not just little things. It's they're taking pride in their in their work. They're trying to build some kind of rapport with a customer, which I mean, I go into fast food, you know, every every so often. And most of the time, the person at the register is like on their cell phone or, you know, otherwise engaged. Let's just put it that way. And, you know, so it's so refreshing when you actually see someone that is giving you attention and and responsive and, and everything like that. And so that is that that's employee training. That's, you know, that's having clear guidelines on what to do as well as what not to do. And it's it's clear management. Um, and when when you do that, the employees feel valued, they feel listened to. And I as a customer that, you know, that that trickles down to me. You know, Greg, I think that's probably why we create the content that we do, because we want to share those real life tips on what's got to happen in the field that's going to help our organizations become successful. Greg, what drew you to the world of improving customer and employee experience? What draw what drew me to customer experience first was when I I became frustrated as a marketer on I kept getting hired to to market and advertise products that were less than stellar or the customer experience was less than stellar. And so going back a layer, I always wanted to go back to my customers and say, well, you got to fix these problems internally with, you know, your customer experience before I can really do a great job. That drew me one level deeper to employee experience. Well, you know, if, if your employees aren't motivated, if they're not engaged, if they don't feel like they're valued, if they feel like they could just get a job somewhere else, which, you know, don't even, you know, that's the great resignation and all that stuff going on. But, you know, if if that part isn't fixed, then you're never going to have a good customer experience. And then again, the marketing and, and all that stuff isn't going to be effective either. So it, it just kind of radiates outward. So how is the great resignation playing into the employee experience and the importance of the employee experience? Yeah, I mean, this is, 
I think it's being treated in some circles as if it's a, a brand new phenomenon, but I think it's really been going on for years. And it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because when I was really getting deep into employee experience, we had, you know, here in the States, we had record low unemployment, and it was anything you could do to just attract the right employees because everybody was otherwise employed and they were happy and, and getting paid enough or whatever. You fast forward a couple of years and all of that effort on bringing these employees in and trying to attract them and promising, maybe even over-promising what they were going to get and focusing on the wrong um, motivations, um, all of a sudden these people are a bit disenchanted. You know, when you add on top of that remote work policies and, you know, some, some companies were already set up to do that well, uh, listen to their employees, trust their employees to work remotely. And so, you know, that, that worked a little bit better than others that when there was a low level of trust, they wanted to drag everybody back into the office and yet couldn't. And so you had this, this weird dynamic as well as just. I think a lot of people put their plans to leave and and look for other work on hold because of the pandemic and because of uncertainty and and all of those things. And so, um, you know, all of that adds up to now you've got a lot of frustrated employees. You've got a lot of people quitting. You're you know short staffed if you're in hospitality. I mean, it's hard to find anyone to you know. Restaurants are like half staffed in some cases, and hospitals are are struggling to fill roles and. You know, so the customer certainly is suffering out of this. It's it it makes sense. You know, it's not it's not shocking if you have half the staff you used to, the customer experience is going to be poor. But others are finding ways to to fill those gaps, and so you know, there's you know there, there's 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 going to be a reckoning if if there isn't already. You know, ADP, we've done a lot of research on the great resignation and employee motivators. In September, we conducted a survey, and you might have seen it in the media. It was all over the trade publications. Our survey showed that for what looks like the first time ever, when considering their current role or looking for a new role, the highest priority for the employee, it's now work-life balance, where up until now, it's always been salary and benefits. The survey also showed that employees giving more weight to wanting to work at a company that shares their same values. So, Greg, how important is it when creating that positive employee experience for the employer to share and communicate the same values as their employees? Yeah, so when it comes to, to sharing values, I, I think, again, not only are, are employees also consumers in, their, in the rest of their lives, but also there are these, and I talk about this in, in, the, in the book that you, you referenced, so there's different types of motivation. And so there's extrinsic motivation, which are things like salary, benefits, perks, things like that. And then there's intrinsic motivations, which are everything from values to other types of things like wanting to learn, wanting autonomy, um, being altruistic, which may mean anything from volunteering to even mentoring or or other things like that. And so, you know, what what we saw in the research was Salary is most definitely a motivator. And I mean, I'll be the first to say I'm I'm extrinsically motivated by money. And yet what we also saw is there's a drop off. So after no matter what that number is different for everybody, but once your needs are met and maybe then a little a little bit more, your motivation doesn't necessarily increase if you get more money. 
the things that really last and the things that that motivate people more and unlock um you know what i would term discretionary effort so it's that okay it's 501 p.m and i could just go home but instead i'm going to work for 10 minutes extra and finish that thing and deliver that extra project or whatever unlocking that it takes more than money it takes more than perks and and, and things like that and so finding ways and you know everybody has their own different things that motivate them um and everyone has them in their own unique combination but you know unlocking those finding what works with your your team and your employees is going to give that that extra bump and a lot of that has to do with values alignment um because you know when people feel like they're they're doing something that is pushing something that they that they value they're they're going to unlock that that discretionary effort you know greg we recently hosted a webinar with the former head for airbnb and it reminded me of what you write about when it comes to seeing those benefits of the connection between the employee's experience and the customer's experience after all at the end of the day after the employee clocks out they too are customers so at airbnb what i thought was really neat was that once a quarter employees received a travel voucher to experience an Airbnb product. So Greg, when you've been working with your clients, have you seen them making efforts to create that exceptional employee cheerleader by uh, introducing them to the product? A lot of times it's, you, you think of the only people that really uh, have that line of sight to the customer are the people that are interacting with the customer. So, you know, it's often thought, okay, customer service reps, well, yeah, they've got to understand the customer or, you know, there's, there's certain roles in the company that you would think they've got to have that empathy. But really my, um, my idea is that everyone in the company, I mean, some may be a little bit of a stretch, but everyone in the company should have a line of sight to how do I contribute value that can then be translated to a better customer experience. This could be, you know, they're in, in technology roles, people writing code, you know, they may be sitting writing code in a dark room somewhere and never talk with a customer, but everything, I mean, how many times have you used a product or gone to a website and been like, man, these people don't understand what I need to accomplish. Like, why is this so complicated? it's because the people writing the code or designing the product or whatever didn't truly empathize with the person that needed to accomplish the task. And so, um, you know, that's maybe an easy example, but I think there's, there's, there's a way to tie everyone to the customer. And when you do that, not only does the customer benefit, but everyone in the organization has a purpose. I mean, what better shared purpose than serving customers? And, you know, when you talk about Southwest or Chick-fil-A or, or some of these other brands, I guarantee you just about everybody in those organizations can say what their role does in relationship to an end customer. And that that's pretty powerful and that's, that's lasting. And that means that they want to stay in that organization and have a bigger role that serves the customer even more. You know, your work, it focuses on breaking down those silos and implementing processes that are going to better connect the employees. So when a customer does call in, they don't have to give, they don't want to repeat and repeat and repeat their personal information. And what I really loved about your book was that you give really great examples and you talk about, hey, you've got to break down these silos inside the organization and make sure that IT is talking with customer service and HR is talking with IT so everybody's on the same page. What I see time and time again across any size organization is 
people being working in silos, processes that are maybe productive within a team, but not productive across an organization, or processes that are actually built to restrict certain things from happening. Like all of this stuff is what gets in the way of the customer getting what they want. And, you know, it, it gets in the way of even employees getting what they need to do to accomplish things. And so that's really where I try to focus my effort. Cause again, you know, it's, Technology stuff is not easy, but it's 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 a little more cut and dry when you have the right requirements. Getting the right requirements means getting people and processes aligned so that we can even figure out, you know, how you know how how are we going to implement and and just as importantly, how are we going to measure and improve these these processes once we get them in place? Because a lot of it is just like, oh well, we figured that out. It it'll be good for the next five years. I mean, what? what has not changed in the last five years you know so why would we expect some business process or system to not need to be updated you know every year if not if not more frequently what has not changed in the last 12 months right <laughs> exactly exactly look i loved how you talk about culture and you write about there not being a good culture or a bad culture only a more successful culture and a less successful culture where the objective should be achieving goals you also write about how sometimes one culture needs to be more dominant than another at a certain point in time in the workplace. What are the different types of cultures that HR professionals should be on the lookout for to either encourage or discourage? The idea is, you know, it's called competing values. It's not one dominant value or one value is better than the other, you know, to your point. And so, you know, there's there's four, there's a quadrant, you know, there's there's four four different areas that they look at. And so there is the the camaraderie or collaboration is one. There's the creativity or innovation. Uh, there is the um, sales and marketing driven, so that customer focused um, um, aspect. And then there's the process and hierarchical um, uh, view of things. And so again, I a, a good example to illustrate this is a startup. And so, you know, when a when you are at a startup, I, I did one um, recently as well. You are very focused on two things: small team, highly collaborative, and being creative and innovative. So, you know, if you if you think of those four things that I mentioned as you know going around a a, a quadrant, you're very you're on the top you're on the top part of that. As um, time goes on, I, I liken it to gravity kinds of kind of sets in. And so, okay, you're super innovative. You have this great team that acts like a family. That's great. But when you start getting investment in, VCs are going to want to see a return on their investment and, and quite quickly. So you start needing to be more sales and marketing focused. And you also need to get your processes in place because you've got to scale. And so gravity kind of sets in and a startup becomes a little less like family oriented, a little less, um, you know, wildly innovative and creative. They've got to actually take those ideas and make them work and make them scale. It's always going to be depending on what you need, depending on what leadership needs, depending on what employees need. There's always going to be some mix of, of those four. Greg, who's responsible at the end of the day for creating that positive employee experience? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, I think in some in, in different organizations, there's a different uh, focus or maybe um, emphasis on who does that. I think that while HR has a strong um, part in that, 
really, you know, employee experience, when you think about it, what's the, the closest person to an employee is going to be the person that manages them and their teammates also, but their teammates may not have a lot of, um, a lot of influence over some of the policies and processes and everything like that. But I really think, you know, it's a combination of leadership working with HR to really understand, um, because, you know, HR is also responsible for a lot of really important and really pressing things that, you know, not the most exciting compliance and, and things like that are not the most exciting thing in the world, but they have to happen. And, you know, people need to get paid on time and people, you know, all of, all of those very practical things um, need to happen, but leadership needs to be 100% bought into this idea that, you know, employees have to have a better experience. HR definitely needs to support that in, in as, you know, in as much as they can, but I think it's really working together and then bringing that customer experience and customer outlook into things, you know, that might be, you know, there might be a chief customer officer, there might be a, an experienced team. Those people need to be brought into the in, into the idea of again aligning everyone with what is their line of sight to the customer, um, to give them a little more purpose and a little more meaning in, in what they're doing. Obviously, so many of us are working from home now. What effect does remote and hybrid work have on the employee and customer experience? Yeah, you know, I think um, some of this definitely depends on the the organization and you know how how they were already set up to handle remote work and uh, you know some some organizations that are you know, they were already global and they were already uh you know in a sense working remotely from one another even if there were lots of people going into the same office they were already kind of set up for for remote work because they were you know london was talking to new york talking to la you know so on and so forth um but i think that you know one of the things that i think we all saw from the headlines and, and everything is we started to see the organizations that tended to have a little less trust in their employees to do a good job on their own, on their own time, in their own way, and, and things like that. And, you know, having been a manager, and I'll say I was not always the best leader, manager, or whatever, I've learned a lot over the years, I'd like to think I'm a lot better than I, than I was, but there is definitely something about, you know, when you can walk in front of or behind someone's computer and see what they're working on and see they're not playing solitaire and they're actually working on their work like that is that is peace of mind. And yet, does that really make that employee do better work or does that just make the manager feel better? Like, oh, OK, well, I guess they're not playing solitaire. Like what really matters is and from my perspective is is the employee doing a good job? Are they getting what they need to done by the time that it needs to get done? How, when, where, whatever, all of all of that stuff, how they do it, does it really matter? You know, if you're in a hospital, yes, it absolutely matters. If you're in a restaurant, yes, it absolutely matters. But if you're, you know, a knowledge worker writing code, as long as you're not missing your deadlines and you're available to your team members, how much does it actually matter that you're working between this eight hour time period sitting in front of your computer? I, I think, again, it's it, it's been very telling the organizations that how they've reacted to that. You know what's interesting? It's that I think that the pandemic has really sped things up. So many of us are working remotely. We've seen increases in productivity. We've seen some decreases in productivity over time. Maybe people are kind of just muddling through the day sometimes, languishing a bit now. 
because they've come to this realization that, you know what, this world of work has changed. I think eventually we would have gotten to this better employee experience a few years down the road if it wasn't for this pandemic. I definitely agree that it sped things up. Uh, and I think, I do think eventually we would have gotten here, but it would have been a lot, I mean, painful. And, and again, not to downplay the the terrible effects of the pandemic itself, but, it, you know, just talking about remote and, and hybrid work, it would have been painful to get to this place had it not been for the acceleration. Because um, the I think that, again, trying to look at the, the glass half full aspect of, of all of this, and I try to do that. Well, we are a glass half full podcast. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. I think the thing that we all got to do was empathize with one another for, you know, how often do we all, all of us share an experience together? And again, terrible experience to have to share, but it was a shared experience. We had, you know, all of us with pets in the home had the, you know, three years ago, if you're kid runs in the background of a zoom meeting or your dog runs in the background you would have been like oh my god this is so i'm i feel like i'm being so unprofessional now we're just like you know what this is my life like if you got a problem with this you know good good luck with that because we've all just had to embrace that and i think you know that that shared experience helped accelerate a lot of the like faux pas of you know oh i'm on a zoom meeting but i have to look like i'm hundred percent professional all the time. Well, you know, life was happening around us. And, and so, you know, it, it, I, I think it did accelerate things. Um, I still think, you know, there's a lot of people that want to go back to the way that things were for lots of reasons, uh, not all bad reasons, you know, it's not all about lack of trust in employees. Although when that's the case, I think that's a sign of a, you know, toxic workplace, but, you know, I think there's other good reasons to want to get back to the the way things were. I just don't know that we really will. You know, I know in my life there's, I've changed my behaviors and I'm not going back either. And, you know, after after four or five months of, of a behavior, real like habits start to set in. So it's also, you know, a psychological thing that, you know, we've been doing this long enough that we really aren't going back. You know, I think HR leaders, we've all really had to step back and we've had to take a hard look at the in-person workplace, the remote workplace, the hybrid workplace. And now that some of us are managing more than one workplace, more than one workforce, and because we've had to think about, you know, what are those skill sets that we can bring? What are the skill sets we need uh, from different parts of the members? Do you think that we're doing a better job at in managing and creating a better employee experience now? I think the it's yeah it's a great it's a great question. Um I think that we've had to consider much more kind of going back to the the empathy piece. Like I I think we've been forced to consider much more of the employees' lives into the mix when we're managing these things. So in other words, that wall between personal and work has been it's been torn down and I don't think that that's a bad thing in the sense of I think we We've been forced to be more empathetic and more understanding because there's been just so many things going on. I think that's going to, in the long term, improve the the employee experience. You know what I really enjoyed in your book? You you give a lot of great examples and a lot of really good tips. And some of them, a lot of them are common sense. And one thing that you spend quite a bit of time writing about is that here's the message 
that senior leadership is communicating to the team. And here is what's being understood by the employee. And you really spent a lot of time showing that, hey, there's this huge gap and that the employee is not really comprehending the message that senior leadership is trying to tell them. Yeah, I, you know, I think the one, one very simple example of that is leadership post something on the internet or maybe on the global Slack channel or whatever. And they're like, okay, you know, job done. <laughs> you know, my, I did it. I communicated that our values, our goal or whatever, you know, like my, my job is done because I just like, out, you know, put it out there in the, in, you know, in the whatever communication channel. And it's so, it's so common when things like that are done. And, you know, when employees, like ask very uh straightforward questions in meetings about about things the leader is like well but i posted it on the internet why didn't you why didn't you see that you know this is something where leaders need to not i mean you need to communicate this stuff it needs to be in writing but you need to not only communicate it you need to live it and you also need to over communicate that and make sure that everyone understands that and you're you know you're your reports that you know manage other people like it's it's got to be something that's ingrained in the organization as opposed to just like values or something we post somewhere and then you know set it and forget it and 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 you know or write it on the wall or or whatever that whatever the case may be and you know I th I think that's we're all so busy right and you know it's not that we aren't but you know are are we really too busy to communicate things that are so vital and so important and make sure that the people that are responsible for our customers being happy, we need to make sure that those people truly embrace it and understand it. And there's no questions about it. Greg, is there anything impactful that you wanted to share that we haven't talked about today? Wow, we've talked about a lot. Um, <laughs> it can be daunting to do all of this uh, at once and feel like you have to do it all at once. And, you know, so some of this comes down to taking that agile iterative approach. Sometimes it's, it's tempting to think, you know, we should boil the ocean and, and just build this huge thing. And then everything will just kind of fall together. Sometimes it's got to go the other way. You've got to start small and, and build a pilot project or build a steering committee across a, an organization that really starts thinking about these things. Leaders need to have a vision for what they want by all means, but I'd encourage, you know, if you're having a hard time getting started to think in small chunks and, you know, build something when employees are part of building that also, they're going to be a lot more bought into the process. So, you know, it's, it's gotta, leaders have to lead, but employees want to feel like they're part of building something. Awesome. Great advice. How can people get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I have a website. It's gregkillstrom.com. So you can see, you can get my books. Uh, I have a blog, access the podcast there. I'm also very active on LinkedIn. So please, um, you know, feel free to reach out to me there. Um, I'd love to start a conversation. All right. Let's wrap up with our five favorites or firsts. You ready? Sure. <laughs> Greg, what's the first car you owned? A Jeep Wagoneer. Oh, awesome. Did it have the uh, Wagoneer full wood paneling on the side? It absolutely did. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. What's the first job you had? So my first job, I was in charge of tracking grades and attendance in high school. So a lot of, a lot of responsibility for a high school kid. <laughs> so. 
Were you the hall monitor too? No, no, no. <laughs> what is the first concert that you attended? Um, I think it was Michael Jackson. Wow, that's an awesome first back concert. At, back in the eighties, yeah. <laughs> Where was it? Uh, probably in New Jersey at the Meadowlands in New Jersey. Oh. And what is your favorite piece of advice that you'd give to a young professional just starting out? Yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, I, I don't know who the, this quote can be attributed to, but um, I'll say it. I often say it anyway. It just because you can doesn't mean you should. Uh, and I, I've done a lot of things and I, I, I think it's important to understand the value of saying no sometimes. Awesome. Well, we'll attribute it to you. It's yours. It's yours, Greg. <laughs> All right. All right. Greg, I've taken so many notes. I've had just a wonderful conversation, really. I always think I'm the one who benefits the most from the podcast. So thanks so much for coming on the Insights at Work podcast. Yeah, thanks so much. It was great. And with that, it looks like we've run out of racetrack. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. If you've enjoyed it, please share it with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit from it as well. If you find the Insights at Work podcast worthy, please go on to iTunes and give us a cool rating with a nice review. We certainly appreciate it. And if there's something that you would like me to discuss around this big world of HR and all things business, give me a shout. You know how to reach me on social media or through LinkedIn. In the meantime, stay healthy and be kind. We'll see you soon on the next episode of the Insights at Work podcast.